Matthew chapter 7, are you all there? Matthew 7 verse 13 says this. It says, enter by the narrow gate. Everyone say narrow. Enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many, everyone say many. And there are many who go by, who go in by it. Verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few that find it. Enter by the narrow gate. So Jesus here tells us there are two gates. There are two gates that we walk through in life. There's a, there's a narrow gate that leads to life and there's a broad gate. There's a wide gate, but it leads to destruction. The Bible makes it very, very clear at the end of this life, you and I will, will stand and be in one of two positions. We'll either be in a place of reward or we'll be in a place of regret. We'll be in a place of reward or we'll be in a place of regret. Uh, hell is hell because of the regret. The Bible says in hell there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's the weeping of, I should have listened. It's the weeping of, if only I had. It's the weeping of lost moments, lost opportunities. It's the weeping of misplaced and displaced priorities. It's the weeping of poor decision. It's the gnashing of teeth, angry at yourself, knowing that you cannot change that state. But you and I are here today in the house of God. And so today I want to preach to you a message called The Road Less Liked. The Road Less Liked. See, in this series called Face to Grammarscope, if you're here for the first time, we've taken Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Periscope, all the social media things and put them all together and come up with a, a name called Face to Grammarscope. Dying to be seen is our hashtag. And, and basically, we're trying to come to grips with this new phenomenon called social media. And what effects does it have on us? And I find that every time I'm posting, I'm kind of, you know, whether it's a photograph of, of you know, a muffin I just ordered. Or, you know, uh, red velvet cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory, which apparently is the first meal you'll taste when you get to heaven. As you arrive at the gates of heaven, you're greeted by red velvet cheesecake made by the Cheesecake Factory. And uh, if you've never tasted it, if you've never tasted it, uh, we've got baptisms coming up soon. You can get baptized, get saved, and then eat red velvet cheesecake. I'm not sure. I think we just need to make it. Anyway, and so, so you know, so I post and then I, che I check to see how many people like my post. And there's something in us, something innate in us that, that wants to be liked. How many people know there's nothing wrong with being liked? But how many people know that there's, that there's another like that's very important to have in our life? And so the message, the kind of the, the crux, the genesis of my message today really is, are you willing to sacrifice 1,000 little likes for the one like that really matters in all eternity? Are you willing, are you able to stay? Let me tell you, you and I need the church because the church should have a peer pressure. The church should have a culture. The, the church should have an encouraging environment that, that, that enables you, that equips you, that empowers you to stand up against the, the, the constant pull of a thousand little likes to live your life for the one big like, the like of God. Can somebody say amen? 
So Jesus kind of explains it this way. He says, listen, let me tell you, there's going to be a road that is less liked. There is a wide road. It is a broad road, but its end is regret. Its end is destruction. But there's another one. It's narrow and it's difficult, but it ends up leading to life. This one has lots of little likes, but this one has the like that you want. This one has the like that you need. So let me give you a few points today. The, the first one is this, is uh, the Bible says in Matthew 6.33 to seek first the kingdom. So if you're taking notes, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. The, the, the people in our world choose what is popular over what is right. They choose what is popular over what is right. But, but a kingdom is different to a democracy. In a democracy, everybody gets to vote and we get to, to say, well, this is the most popular opinion, therefore, but not in a kingdom. A kingdom, there's only one person who gets to vote, the king. And so if you don't like the king, you don't got to be in the kingdom. But if you like the king, he's the only one that gets to vote. But I found that living in his kingdom, a king has, has two responsibilities. Did you know that? Every king has two responsibilities. Now, if your husband says, I'm the king of the castle, I'm the king of my house, that's awesome. And, and, and his responsibilities are protection and provision. Every king throughout history who sits on the throne that has authority has two responsibilities for the people in his kingdom. It's protection and provision. Protection and provision. And so I find that living in the kingdom of God, seek first the kingdom, I find that, that I live in a place where I don't get to vote. It's God's vote. Adam says, no, no, you know what, God, I want to vote. And I vote, not your will, my will be done. And it led to a mess. But when Jesus came, who the Bible calls the second Adam, he was in a garden, very different to the garden that Adam was in. Adam was in a garden called Eden, which means paradise. Jesus was in a garden called Gethsemane, which means oil press. It's where they crushed oils to bring out the, the anointing oil. Jesus, come on, was, was the, he was that, that oil. He was crushed so you and I could get the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit. We could be sealed with the Spirit for all eternity. Anyway, and so Jesus was, but in that garden, sweating drops of blood, Jesus said, Father, if it's possible for this cup to pass by without me drinking it, nevertheless, not my will. Thy will be done. See, when, when we're in the kingdom, we're under the king's protection and we're under the king's provision. But when we step out of the kingdom, we're out from under his protection. We're out from under his provision. Why do you think the devil has been so determined to get the Bible out of our schools, get the Bible out of our colleges, get the Bible out of our universe, get the Bible out of our, uh, you know, uh, judicial law and out of our courtrooms why do you think that trying to get America out from under God because he knows that he can't attack under God because there's no one greater than our God there's no one more powerful but if we can think that we're too smart for God or somehow God is offensive and pull ourselves out from under now he can ransack now he can plunder now he can destroy because a king's job is protection and provision to, to live in the kingdom of God this is what I've discovered I've discovered I have to live not by what is popular 
but I've actually got to live by what is right. I've got to live in a way that honors God. Now, let me just tell you, blind Bartimaeus is a powerful picture. The Bible says in, in Mark chapter 10, that blind Bartimaeus was sitting by the road begging as Jesus was leaving Jericho. And as Jesus was leaving Jericho, blind Bartimaeus, when he heard that it was Jesus, began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible says this, immediately as he began to cry out the name of Jesus, the crowd came in, shh, shh. The crowd shushed him. In fact, the Bible says the crowd rebuked him. Be quiet. You're just a beggar. Shut up. This is a religious man. Shush it. But I like blind Bartimaeus. If you ever look at Mark 10, 48, the Bible says when the crowd tried to silence him, he cried out all the more. He refused to let the crowd take away his prayer. He refused to let the crowd take away his prayer. Can I just tell you, we got teenagers right now in my city. Even though prayer and Bible reading is it, they're finding a way to pray in classrooms. They're praying before school. They're praying at lunchtime. They're praying after school because they refuse to let the crowd take away their cry. Because Jesus is the only one that can open the eyes of the. Come on, somebody. And so, so blind Bartimaeus refuses to yield to the crowd and instead begins to cry out, Jesus, Son of David, so much so that Jesus stops. He stopped because blind Bartimaeus' cry went above the voice of the crowd. Can I just tell you, as a Christian, I want you to know that you have made the greatest decision and we want it to be easy and we want it to be lovely and we want it to be enjoyable. But I got to be honest with you. You and I are walking on a narrow road. We are going through a narrow gate. We are on the road less light. It is difficult at times. You will be persecuted at times. You, there will be people again. It is not popular at times. You have to learn to live above the crowd. We have to get a backbone that causes us to live above the opinions of popularity and popular culture and live for the like of just one. Somebody say amen. See, if you live your life by the crowd, you lose. Like in the, in the, the, the great movie Gladiator starring Russell Crowe, there's, there's really two main characters. It's, it's uh, Maximus and Commodus. When Marcus Aurelius is passing, he realizes his son Commodus can't, can't be the new emperor. He says to Maximus, he says, come Maximus, let us whisper, you and I. There once was a dream called Rome. It was, it was just a whisper. If you, if you spoke it, it was fragile. It could disappear. And, and, and he, says, he basically says, I, I, want, I want you to, to be the successor. And Maximus says, with all my heart, I decline. But don't you see, Maximus, that's why, that's why I must come to you. Commodus cannot rule. He must not rule. He's not a moral man. And as soon as Commodus finds out that he's being bypassed for Maximus, he goes and murders his father and announces himself to be king. But all the way through the movie, all the way through the movie, you see this. Commodus lived for the appeasement of the crowd. He lived for the crowd. He, he, he wanted the crowd to be with him. And when Maximus was meant to be defeated in battle, and there he is in the arena, again about to, to, to slay the gladiator, and, and you know, Commodus stands up with his thumb and goes like that to kill him. 
Maximus throws his sword and walks away and the whole crowd begins to chant Maximus the merciful Maximus the merciful Maximus the merciful and now the next scene you see Commodus he's perplexed he's perplexed he's won the crowd they were, they were chanting Maximus the merciful now what more can he he, he lived his whole life tormented listen don't live according to the crowd now listen psychologists tell us there are three A's that every single one of us long for affirmation acceptance and approval affirmation acceptance and approval affirmation that, that you are you are significant that you are loved and worthy of love you know uh, acceptance that, that you are loved for just being who you are not what you pretend to be, not what you purport to be, not what you, you know, make yourself out to. Sadly, most people go through life never experiencing true acceptance. God designed marriage and God designed friends. The Bible says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Every single one of us to have a rich life needs, needs someone in our life that, that is uncomplicated and that is easy. You know, we constantly have people... Uh, you know, in our home and go out with people. We, we, we're very relational. But I found there are some people that, that it wears me out. And, and it's just because I found that I can't let, let the guard down. I have to watch every word because they have, they have me in a, in a certain box. But I like, I like our friendships and I like our circle where there are people that I can let my hair down. I can let the guard down. It's, it's effortless to be with them because they accept you as you are. Your spouse is meant to. But sadly, there are so many people, they get married. And because of rejection and the sting of rejection in the past, they live in such a way where they, they would rather live a fake. They would rather live a copy. They would rather live a facade than allow their spouse to see who they really, really are for fear of rejection. So, you know, and then approval. Approval means that you're somebody of worth that somebody approves you, gives you the thumbs up. Before Jesus preached one sermon, before he did one miracle, as he comes up out of the waters of baptism, the heavens open, the Spirit descends like a dove, and God the Father speaks and says, You are my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus hasn't preached anything. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't done one miracle. And yet the Father immediately approves him. Life works better when you come from a place of approval. I've seen the, the, the most uh, uh, destructive leadership decisions happen when a pastor or a leader is, is trying to strive and drive the church into a position you know, for his own lack of approval. He's got to get the church to this level or, or a CEO trying to get the company to this level, earning this much. And, and just burning through one life after another and hiring and firing and hiring and firing because it's the end goal only to find that you finally get there and you look back and you left a trail of mess and you've got nobody to celebrate. So we're all susceptible. We're all susceptible to likes. But can you live above the voice of the crowd, the noise of the crowd? Now, I was telling the 830 service, how many people know that I wasn't always a senior pastor? You know, I've been a senior pastor for 10 years and, you know, and, you know, handsome Charles and Tessa, you know, Charles always says, you know, you're so respectable pastor. Actually, he doesn't say that. He just needs to say it. And, uh, but, you know, I wasn't always, I was, I was a youth pastor. 
And I remember when I finished Bible college, uh, Pastor Steve Kelly, who now pastors a church over in Virginia Beach, said to me, listen, Jürgs, there's a few churches who, you know, kind of want to hire you as their youth pastor, but uh, the best one is in Manukau City, New Zealand. And so we as a college, we're going to pay for you to go and kind of like do, do you know, an interview, actually go, so we go, go to Auckland. When we get there, they decided, let's make it an outreach. I took four or five other students along, and we we're going to do an outreach as well as I was going to interview for this position as the youth pastor in Manukau City. Well, when we get there, they say, well, let's, you know, let's kind of take them downtown to, to Auckland, which is the, the kind of the biggest city. And, and so we went to Queen Street. It's in the Commonwealth. So we go to Queen Street, which is the main street. And there's these high-rise buildings, high-rise buildings. I was trying to make an impact. I was naughty and trying to make an impact, okay? And so, so I remember we get to Queen Street and we're walking down and there's two lanes of traffic going this way, two lanes of traffic going that way. And I just had this crazy idea to run in front of the traffic. And so this guy kind of slams his brakes on, winds his window down, starts yelling stuff about my mother that I know not, is not true. And anyway, I just kind of went like this. And then I looked up at the building and I said, don't jump, don't do it, man, like this. And my friends are on the, on the footpath going, what is going on? And I'm like, don't jump, don't do it. And so then they realize this is your experience. And so they run, and so they're yelling out as well. Well, now there's, it's, it's, it's Thursday night, and there's hundreds of people walking. And so hundreds of people come running out to see what's going on. People are getting out of their cars looking up. Within 30 seconds, there's like 300 people in the middle. After about a minute, this, this woman behind me goes, my God, there he is. There's no one up there, but she can see him. The invisible man is about to jump and she can see, well, she faints. And so, and so next minute, a stranger starts slapping because they saw it. So a woman is being slapped because of this idiot. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And then I hear this, down, and there's like a fire engine thing coming. I'm like, and the traffic's all banked up, and, and there's people everywhere, and I'm thinking, I'm going to get out of this. I'm trying to make it into a joke. Don't jump, let me move my car, you know, and no one's getting it, and people are still freaking out and carrying on. Thank God for church evangelist Don McDonnell, who preached here, you know, a few months ago. He climbs up on, on a VW, one of those VW bugs, and he stands on the roof. You know, the people are in there, and he's on the roof, and the people, and he stands up and goes, people, you've all been deceived. There's nobody up there. He says, but let me tell you, there's a time coming. There's going to be a man in the sky. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the King of Kings. And just as he got to Lord of Lords, the roof caved in. True story. The driver went. So we did what any men of the cloth would do. We ran. And... Uh, <laughs> there's all these teenagers going, man, there's, there's these drunk teenagers going, we want to hang out with you guys, man. We're like, scram, we're trying to hide. You know? And uh, anyway, the next day in the paper, the next day in the paper, they had, you know, jumper averted, you know, and they did this whole article on how New Zealand is one of the highest suicide rates and, and uh, you, know, uh, you know, we're not sure why the person changed their mind and, you know, whatever. It was just, there was no one up, there was no one up there. Now, I tell that story because my wife's not here. Anyway, and uh, I'll tell that story for another reason. Because the crowd is stupid. Yeah, we spend our entire lives trying to fit in with the crowd. Many years, many years ago, there was a wrestler in the WWF called Blue Blazer. 
And they were doing this stunt where they were lowering him, lowering him from the ceiling on this harness, one of those abseiling devices. And uh, he was, you know, kind of meant to kind of fly into the center of the ring and then, you know, uh, you know, basically go to town using a chair and he's got a concealed weapon, you know, you know, and the whole, but, but what happened, he got about 60 feet from, from the ring and accidentally hit the release switch. And so he just fell the last 60 feet face first into the turnbuckle, snapping his neck, killing him instantly, flipping him over on his back on the, on the, the center of the ring. 15,000 fans stood and gave him a standing ovation. Bravo, bravo, <laughs> bravo. The guy's dead, D-E-D, -E -D, dead. And they're clapping, because 15,000 fans can't tell the difference between fact and fiction. We spend our whole lives trying to fit in. We spend our whole lives looking for those little check boxes of likes from people. Listen, the crowd hates individuality. That's why it's called the crowd. You know what they said? Well, what do they say? Well, you know what they're saying? What are they saying? Well, you know, right now they're 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 doing that. Who the heck is they? But it sounds impressive. Well, I wouldn't do that. Well, why not? Well, you know what they're saying? They're saying something. Yeah, right now. <laughs> See, the crowd doesn't want you because when you stand out, when you stand apart from the crowd, you expose their mediocrity. You expose their lukewarmness. They're neither hot nor cold. They're just lukewarm. And when you stand out and say, you know, I'm living by principle. I'm going to make a decision to follow Jesus. I'm going to get water baptized. I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to start serving. I'm going to go to grow class. You know what? I'm going to start living for Jesus. I'm going to start living my life. When you start doing that, you're going to find all kinds of persecution. You're going to find all kinds of hostility coming your way because the crowd hates individuals individuality. Why? Because you expose their compromise. You expose their lukewarmness. You expose their mediocrity. Stand out from the crowd. Listen, you were never meant to fit in. You were never meant to fit. If you think if I'm just accepted by the crowd, then I'll be, no, no, no. You were never created to fit in. You were always created to stand out. When God finished creating you, He looked at you and He said, outstanding. If I say so, mate, you were meant to be outstanding. You were meant to stand out. You were never meant to fit in. Number one, seek first the kingdom. Come on, if you believe that, say amen. Number two is seek His righteousness. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now again, let me tell you what the wide gate, the, the crowd will do. The crowd wants you to live by your feelings over your principles. The crowd wants you to live by feelings over principles. His righteousness means it's His righteousness. What does that mean, Pastor? Glad you asked. It means what He says is right is right. What he says is right, is right. Not what popular opinion says is right. Not what GQ magazine article says is right. Not what Cosmopolitan says is right. Not what the media says is right. Not what the education says is right. What, what he says, that's his righteousness. His righteousness. But we, we, we live in an age where, where, where people want to live by their feelings or by their perceptions. 
Jesus calls this the broad gate. He calls this the wide gate. If you live by your feelings, if you live by your perceptions, if you live by your rationalization, you'll find the end is regret and you'll find the end is destruction. But if you live a life by what God has said, if you live your life by what God has said, that's the lie of the devil, has God really said. He knows if he can get Adam and Eve away from what God has really said. That's why Jesus to defeat the devil says devil it is written have you never read it is written in other words God has said God has said God has said if you want to defeat the devil in your life live your life according to what God has said if you want victory in life live according to what God has said if you want if you want reward in your life live by what God has said but if you want regret in your life you know reinterpret what God has God really said no I think that I'm a little smarter than the almighty and so live, no, 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 don't, don't, don't live there. I remember many years ago when I was living in, in uh, New Zealand, there was a, a really sweet young lady. She was on our deacon team. And she came and she said, Pastor, would you, would you meet with my husband? You know, we've been married almost two years and our, our marriage is, is, is really not good. And I said, absolutely. So, you know, so I met, met with him and I said, hey, buddy, you know, what's going on? And he says, well, you know, my wife just doesn't appreciate the gift that God's given me. I said, what a terrible wife. What gift is it that God's blessed you with that she completely? He says, well, God has given me the gift of art. I'm like, my wife loves art. What kind of a what? I said, what kind of art? He says, well, in particular, the female form. The female form kind of art. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me, Yerks, he's addicted to porn. I said, Holy Spirit, please. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I said, you're addicted to porn. He goes, no, 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 it's just. It's art. I said, it's not art, it's destructive. It's destroying your marriage. Every time you look at that, every time you look at her, you're making a statement. You aren't enough. You are insufficient. You are incomplete. You are not. Every time you do that, I said, and then the worst thing is then you want to have sex. You want to make love, but you don't know how to make love because while you're you're not thinking of, you're not connecting with. Your head and your heart are engaged over here, yet the physical may be happening here. But there's no, sir, that's just called sex. God didn't just create, He created to be a bond. You're missing out on the deep. No wonder your wife is empty because you don't have. But we live in a world where people want to live according to their feelings and give in to their lusts and their desires. Can I just encourage you? Don't live according to your righteousness. Don't get, live according to what you perceive as right. Let God be true. And every man a liar, the Bible says, come on, somebody, say amen. In Philippians 3.19, if we can throw that scripture up there, have a look at this powerful scripture that the Apostle Paul puts in there. It talks about the end of these people whose end is destruction, whose God is their Come on, somebody, whose God is there? Whose God is their belly? Do you know that word belly in the Greek literally means emotions? Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, their emotion. If you live 
not by principle, but by emotion. The end of your life is a destruction. The end of your life is regret. The end of your life is reward. Can I just tell you, I thank God for Jesus Christ rescuing me. But, and I also thank God for the fact that we have the Word of God. Because the Word of God said, Jurgs, your feelings are going this way, but God's principles say go this way. And I've learned to live with a thing called conflict. Kermit the Frog was the first to say, it isn't easy being green. <laughs> it's not easy to be a Christian. I live in a body that wants to be a non-Christian. I live in a body that wants to party. I live in a body that, that, that is out of control. I'm like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, come on, party. Yeah. I'm like, shut up. The Apostle Paul, Romans 7, says the very things I want to do, ah, the very things I don't want to do, that's the stuff I find. Who will deliver me? Thank God, Jesus. You will, listen, you will, till Jesus Christ parts the sky, you'll be trapped in a body that is carnal, that is fleshly. The Bible says sold under sin. You will live with conflict. I'm not saying to you that there is a conflict that when you get saved, Tinkerbell comes and sprinkles magic pixie dust and oh, I never have bad desires. No, no, no. You're still going to have to war. You're still going to have to resist temptation. You're still going to have, but I'm talking today about a road less liked. I'm talking about a narrow gate. The narrow gate is one where you are walking against some of the impulses, some of the desires, some of the lust, some of the bends, some of the biases from yesterday and days gone past. Things that you open yourself up to, things that you inherited from your parents and your grandparents, but that is the cross that we are called to bear because on the end of this life is life. On the end of this life is reward. On the end of this gate, there is blessing. There is a smile from your heavenly Father. There is a giant light. Can you walk on the road less light? Can you live by principles over feelings? When, when we lived in New Zealand, there was a, a guy in our neighborhood who owned three franchises of a f certain fast food uh, I don't want to give the name anyway he, he just owned a fast food chain he owned three of them his goal I think was to own 10 and he was already doing well after three what was interesting was I was talking to him I said oh you know so you got three where, where, where are you going to plant the next and when he told me his plans for the next three I said well hang on I said your goal is to make money right he's like yeah I said oh whoa <laughs> I'm a youth pastor and I work in those three towns. I work in those three areas. I work in those three demographics. Can I just say to you, you might wanna rethink your strategies. Like why? I said, every single one of those places is like the poor. I said, if you wanna plant this fast food, you, know, you need to go to this town, you need to go to this suburb, you need to go to this town. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, you don't understand how it works. He says, whenever we plant a fast food place, we start by planting in the poor area. And then the money that we get from there, we're now able to go to the middle class. And then from there, we're able to go to the rich. He says, the rich are rich because they have budgets and disciplines over their money. She's, he, and he was saying, but the poor are poor because they live according to their, whatever their fancy. 
They live according to their feeling. They live according to their emotion. They live according to their impulses. He says, so we always target the poor areas because they drive past. They haven't prepared anything. They haven't you know, disciplined themselves. Hey, we're going to have dinner. We're living on a budget. We need to do groceries. We need to cook each night. So they just, he says, that's where we plan. From there, the profit we make from there, we go to the middle class. From there, then those two were able to go to the rich areas. He says, we hardly make any money in the rich areas. We make all of our money in the poor areas. Now the world has figured this out. Luke 16 says the sons of darkness are more shrewd in their generation when it comes to finance than the sons of light. And they've discovered something that people are poor because they live by impulses. If you want to say, hey, pastor, give me the recipe for poverty, I'd say live by your impulses, live by your feelings, live by your emotions, live by your desires. But if you want to say, hey, pastor, what's the pathway to prosperity? What's the pathway to success? I would say rein in your your desires, rein in your emotions and make them bow to the principles set out in the Word of God. I love the Bible. I love the Word. When I live according to this, despite what I'm feeling, despite what's popular, despite my bents and pies, when I bring my flesh into submission with what the Word of God said, there is always reward. There is always blessing. There is always, if you want to be on the right path, that's why you're the smartest people in San Diego. You're here in church, listening to the Word of God, beating down that flesh, applying the Word of God to your spirit. You're the smartest people. Somebody say amen. Number three, moving really quickly. Number three. Endurance is the key. Matthew 24, 13. Endurance is the key is point number three. In Matthew 24, verse 13, Jesus said this. He says, He who endures to the end shall be saved. I gotta tell you, you know, we have altar calls and we have twisted productions, we have great worship and great preachers and great leaders and awesome people. And so it's easy to come down the front. It's easy to give your life to Jesus. And it's easy even to start. We've got like connect, grow, serve, lead. But at some point, you're going to hit a road bump. At some point, the devil is going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at you. When I got saved, the first thing he did was he turned all my friends against me. We used to take turns at the beach where we used to serve uh, of buying lunch. And literally the, the, the weekend after I got saved, it was my turn to go and buy everybody lunch. Well, when I got back to the beach, I'm looking everywhere for my surfboard. I've handed out lunch to everybody. I'm looking for my, I can't find my surfboard. And then I look and they've made a cross out of sticks and they've dug it in the sand and they kind of buried my surfboard and they're all laughing and mocking that I've become a Christian. I remember coming home and and my younger brother saying, oh, you know, Flanagan hates you. He was my best friend, Peter Flanagan. I'm like, well, I did notice a bit of hostility. He goes, yeah, and Daniels hate you. I'm like, Dad, I taught him how to drink. (laughs) What? Why is he and then he goes, Rolsey, and with a name like Rolsey, who really? But anyway, you know, it's like, and he starts, starts listing all my friends who hate me. And then he finishes, he goes, you know what? I hate you too. I remember trying to fight back tears. And I said, well, I got one friend you don't have. He goes, yeah, who's that? I said, Jesus. And, you know, ran into my bedroom. Somebody give me a Bible. I'd only been saved a few weeks. Somebody give me a Bible. I said, yeah, thank you, not reading it. And because uh, you know, I knew Christians at school, I, I was so unchurched, I was so unsaved that I thought, I just want to follow God. I don't want any confusion. So I took the Bible and I put, I run into my bedroom and somehow my Bible is not in the drawer where I left it. It's now sitting on, on my desk. And it was a, a white vinyl cover. It was, you know, it was only like an $8 Bible. 
but it looked like it was glowing. I'm not sure whether it was the tears in my eyes or whether it was actually glowing. And I felt a voice say, read it. Read it. And I was so, you know, crushed. So I opened the Bible up and it opens up to Matthew 15, uh, to John 15. And it immediately falls. My eyes immediately fall. First thing I, I read is 1535. It's in red. And these are the words I read. Jesus speaking. He said, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. If you still belong to the world, they would love you as their own. But because I have chosen you out of the world, that's why the world hates you. I'm just dropping it. This is freaky. It was like God was in my room. God spoke to me from the Word. And it gave me the courage to say, you know what, even if my friends aren't for me, I'm not going to let go of you, Jesus. A few years later, I'm going to Bible college. And God makes it very clear I'm to go to Power Ministry School. P-M-S. You think the title alone would suffice? Back then, Leanne and I, I just met Leanne. Leanne and I were attending Wollongong Church of Christ. It was, it was easily the best church in our city. The senior pastor sat down with me and said, Jürgen, I hear you. You're thinking of going to that college. If you come to our college, when you graduate, we will guarantee you a position as a youth pastor in our Kayama church plant. Now, I was part of Kayama Christian Service. Liam was born in Kayama Hospital. I'm like, this is God. It's, it's a beach town. This is God. And God says, that's the easy. That's the easy. I don't need you to do what's easy. I need you to do what's difficult. I need you to leave everything and go to PMS, Power Ministry School. I said, God, the fees are double. If I go to this one, I get to live at home, just pay board. If I have to go there, I've got to pay Sydney rent, which is double the rent of where I grew up. But God made it very, very clear. This way was the easy way. This way was the difficult way. I went the diff- I had no idea that Power Ministry School, belonging to a church in Borkham Hills called Hills Christian Life Center, <clears throat> would many years later become Hillsong Church. They became known as Hillsong Church. Over 150 million people around the world sing their songs. Wollongong Church of Christ today is just a shadow of what it once was. But I knew that God was in this decision. When I graduated from Hillsong College, I had a number of offers. One was the Gold Coast. Oh, the Gold Coast. Palm Beach. Assemblies of God, Queensland. We're looking for a youth pastor slash... Oh, yeah, there was a slash in there. Youth pastor slash associate pastor. I'm like, (laughs) I kind of see myself as a slash. I feel sorry for those other guys who are just youth pastors, no slash. (laughs) Oh, you recognize something on me? I'm not just a youth pastor. I'm a slash associate. Or go to Manukau City. Now, that one had a part-time salary. It was literally, my office was right across the road from some of the best surfing spots up in Queensland. The other one was Manukau City, which that year was the violent, most violent city outside of Johannesburg in the Southern Hemisphere with beheadings between gangs and stuff like that. No salary. And God says, 
Manic House City. I'm like, God, why are you always in the difficult? But he was testing my heart. Can I do what my flesh, can I do what's easy? Or am I willing to do what's difficult? After seven years in Manukau, two offers. Pastor Brian says, I'd love you to start a church in your hometown of Wollongong. You could immediately be senior pastor. There was money, there was salary. The other option was to come to Oxford Falls and be Phil Pringle's youth pastor. But he's like, hey, we've never hired from the outside and we don't have a salary. And I'm like, okay, God, no salary. I've got a wife with two kids. Let me do the easy one. And God says, no, it's Phil Pringle. After seven years with Phil Pringle, two options, plant a church in Australia. My best friend says, I'll give you $100,000 if you plant here in Australia. Yerks, think about it. You just released God in Hollywood. It was a bestseller. You'd have a thousand people within a month attending your church. Or go to San Diego where you've never been, never seen, where no one knows you. No promise, no salary, $100,000 on your mortgage. Guess which one God was in? But I have found, I have found that you can either receive the reward of men or you can receive the reward of God. God doesn't do it, God doesn't do it to be spiteful, God doesn't do it to be nasty. God is always testing because he's always desiring to be trusting. You're either in a test or you're in a trust. You're only ever in one of the two. If right now you're in a test, it's because God is wanting to trust you with more. If right now you're in a trust, the time will come where God will test you in that trust because he wants to know, can he take you to another level of trust? God is either testing us or trusting us. He's testing us or He's trusting us. He wants to know, does He have your heart? Are you willing to walk the road less light? Can you stand against what is popular by doing what is right? Can you live above your feelings and live according to principles? And can you, for the sake of the easy, say, I'm not going to do what's easy. I'm going to do what is right, though it be difficult. I'm telling you, that puts a smile on the face of heaven. That brings blessing unprecedented over your life. I am telling you, there is a reward. You know, some people get all indignant about reward, but listen to me as I come to a close. Last thought, last point. In Hebrews 11, 6, it says this. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Watch this. For those who come to God, watch this, must one, believe that He is, and number two, believe that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. See, faith isn't just enough to believe that God is there. The Bible says faith not only believes that God is, but that He is also the rewarder. You've got to believe that there's a reward. You pastor, you don't understand what it's like. I, I, I live with these bents. I live with these these, these desires, I live with these, I, I, every day I fight them. Can I tell you there's a reward? There's a reward. You don't understand, Pastor, how difficult it is. My family are Muslim and I've become Christian and I'm constantly, can I tell you there's a reward? You don't understand what it's like in my workplace, Pastor. In my workplace, they make fun of me because I'm a Christian. You should hear the cussing and the jokes and, 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 and the, the, the pictures all over. You don't understand what it's like. Can I tell you there is a reward? 
there is a reward. There is a reward. The wide road anybody can travel down, the wide road anybody could go down, it leads to regret. It leads to destruction. Pick up your cross. Follow Jesus Christ. I promise you it'll lead to life. But on the way between where you are today and life everlasting, there is reward after reward after reward after reward after reward. The people that go down the wide road, they have regret after regret after regret after regret. And then the end is just, you don't want to be on that path. You want to be on the road less light. Amen. Glory.